Um, hey, everyone. You could hear, I think. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, um, fasting um, gives us access to revelation and life. And one thing I learned, um, that for me was times when you are in a supposedly causing situation or season, mm-hmm. is advice take a step back, you know, fast for a while and you get light, you get insights, you know, your spirit, you learned again that um, our spirit, our body becomes light, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So it gives you, it gives your spirit access to actually receive, to hear clearly. So I think that's one thing that actually stood out for me last week. Thank, Thank you. you. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Idara, for sharing. Um, okay, anyone else wants to share from last week? Just one thing, Len, one more person. Um, for me, what I learned about how fast new seasons, and it was very profound for me because I think you may, you give an illustration of Wait, one minute, please just take that again. So I'm not sure we got the first part of your sentence. So please go, go right again. Okay, I said that um, one thing I learned was that fasting breaks new seasons. That okay. when you're going into a new season, it's advisable to fast. And, and most times, when you fast, you break yourself into a new season and you are sensitive to what God is saying in that season and all of that. And the explanation of the old wine skin and it was very, very profound. And thank you. Oh, all right, all right. Thank you so much. That's that's great. So please, if you were not here last week, um, the uh, we have the re- recorded sessions on our podcasts, so you can actually listen to it. Um, I'll drop the, the link in the group after to, to this Bible study. All right. So we'll continue from where we stopped last week, and um, last week we saw that fasting helps us receive from God. Um, fasting helps us renew our strength. And fasting helps us birth new seasons. So on that same path, we'll continue from today that one of the very important things, and I believe, and I believe that it is impossible to manifest this dimension without fasting, is that um, manifesting the power of God, the tangible power of God is absolutely impossible without prayer and fasting. And I can, I can say this categorically, that there is no single person that works with God and demonstrates his power. You know, I'm not talking about philosophical Christianity. That's people trying to explain things away with, uh, with theology. No, I'm talking about a practical demonstration of power, meaning where there is a challenge, power is released to solve that problem. So that dimension can only be um, experienced through prayer and fasting. Okay, so I want us to look at a story in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 17, we'll start reading. We'll start reading from verse 1. I'll, I'll read and skip some verses. Yeah, but let's start reading from verse 1. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. All right, so I'm reading from verse 1. It says, from the King James Version, And after six days, Jesus taken Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before, before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was as was white as the light 
So this was this is the encounter that we popularly call um, transfiguration on the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus took three of his closest disciples and they went to the mountain. And if you read the account in the book of Luke, the Bible says that um, while Jesus Christ prayed, they, the, his facial appearance changed and he began to shine as bright as, as, the, as the sunlight. And so that whole experience happened. Um, Elijah and Moses came and all of that happened. So let's keep some verses and go down. Now go down to... Go down to verse... Um, all right, verse 14. Verse 14. Now, Jesus and his three disciples had come down. So remember, Jesus Christ instructed the three disciples not to tell anybody about this experience until after he was resurrected from the, um, from the dead. So verse 14 reads, and when, they were come to, and when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic. And saw vexed, for oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. So this guy, I, I'm sure that the, I mean, this man must have heard that um, Jesus Jesus performed so many miracles, and he expected that at least the people that walked with Jesus Christ should perform miracles. And he had every reason to expect so because um, a point in time came when Jesus Christ sent forth his disciples. And, and under that authority, the Bible says that disciples went and cast out demons, they healed the sick, in fact, they came back so excited. They were like, Jesus, can you imagine what happened to this guy? So I was like, demon, go. And demon said, I'm not going. I said, no, go in Jesus' name. And demon left. You know, that excitement they came with. And so I'm sure this man must have seen that at some point the disciples could cast out demons and heal the sick under the authority of Jesus Christ. So when he came and met disciples and didn't see Jesus there, he felt like, well, disciples are capable, they should handle the case. But that wasn't the case, all right? So they couldn't handle the matter at hand. Now, let's continue reading verse, um, verse 16. It says, and I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you. Bring him um, hither to me. Verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. So the same person that the disciples, I'm, I'm, I'm so sure that the disciples tried all the gimmicks. They tried rebuking in the name of Jesus, tried calling down the fire of God, tried sprinkling the blood of Jesus, maybe tried, okay, no, Jesus hadn't died then. Tried doing all they need to do, but it didn't work. And in the same instant, Jesus Christ just came and he made it look so easy. He just came and said, I rebuke you, demon. And the demon left. I mean, any, any person would have the would have questions in his heart because that felt that felt intimidating. So imagine, I don't know how long the disciples had been attempting to cast this demon, but I'm sure it must have been for some time. And then Jesus Christ comes and in a few minutes, the demon is gone. Okay? Now, verse 19. They, and then came the disciples to Jesus apart and would... And, said, why could not we cast him out? So they began to ask Jesus, there's what you said and what we said. They were the same thing. But how come what you said casted cast a demon and what we said couldn't cast the demon? You know, have you ever been to, okay, well, I have experienced, I don't know if you have, but I've experienced situations where some people are casting in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and the demon is not going. And then somebody else comes and says the same thing in the name of Jesus. 
and the demon goes immediately. So is it that the name of Jesus is not powerful or is it that God, God is biased towards some people or is it that, I mean, there must be a science behind the, that occurrence and that's what, what I want us to find out in this scripture. Now, they asked Jesus Christ, why couldn't we cast it out, right? Verse 20, and Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. So the, so the first thing Jesus Christ said to them was that, see, you still have doubts in your hearts. You still have unbelief in your heart, all right? But then he didn't stop there. He went on to say, because of your unbelief, and says, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible. So the first thing Jesus Christ addressed was their faith. However, Jesus Christ knew that this, work, this matter was beyond just a matter of them having faith. And then he went further in verse 21 to say, how, how be it, that is, however, this kind goeth out not but by prayer and fasting. I didn't know you know. What this means is that um, the, the experiences that the disciples had could only be explained by one thing because, you know, if you, if you scientifically deduct what happened, you will say, what did Jesus Christ do that the disciples did not do? Jesus Christ um, spoke to the demons. Well, the disciples spoke to the demons. Jesus Christ was addressing the demon boy. The same thing the disciples did. What was now the difference? And you know, the Bible lets us um, um, know that, and we looked at this last week, that um, a point in time came when the Pharisees asked, asked Jesus Christ and said, Jesus Christ, you see, your, the, the, the disciples of, of John the Baptist, they fast. The disciples of, um, of, of the Pharisees, they fast. But how come your own disciples don't fast? And Jesus Christ explained to them that, you know, the bridegroom is around, so they don't need to fast, but when he's gone, then they will fast. What that meant was that all the while that Jesus Christ, um, um, the disciples were following Jesus Christ, they were not fasting. They were eating lavishly. Jesus Christ was the one doing the fasting, you know. And when he fasts and generates power, he sends them with that authority. And they see signs and wonders. And then they thought that the, the results they saw in the field was, was a function of their own personal um, effort in the realm of the spirit. But no, it was Jesus Christ that was doing the work. So when they faced a situation that could not go any other way except by that fasting and prayer, they were handicapped because that was what Jesus Christ was doing that the disciples were not doing. And, you know, Jesus Christ says, said, however, this kind doesn't go out except by, except by prayer and fasting. And this is so true for several circumstances in our lives that there are certain matters in our lives you will not solve by just declaring words of faith alone. No. There are several um, several situations in our lives that will not go simply because you just, you know, just said, oh, I believe God, I believe God. It will not go. Certain things will require more than your faith. And that is where prayer and fasting is extremely important. If Jesus Christ himself could say that this kind, you know what, you know what that means with that? There are, there are certain situations that will go by, you know, just declare the word to go. But this kind, if you declare the word alone, it will not go. It has to be backed by a by a, a robust supply of prayer and fasting. And I, let me explain to you why it is so. Because, you know, practically, um, I, I mean, I love being practical in my experiences. And let me share a story with you guys before I, I, I continue. You know, one day I went to, think about it, it's just so funny. I went to, um, I went to Abuja to minister at, some, um, at a convention, at a camp meeting rather. And there was this lady that was demon possessed and, 
let me be honest with you guys. She gave me tough time. In fact, there's someone here that, know, that knows this story. But anyway, she gave me tough I was literally sweating. Like, I was like, I got so embarrassed at some point. I was like, what kind of demon is this? It's so difficult. So to cut the long story short, we eventually dealt with the demon. But I had so many questions. And so when I came back um, from the trip, I called my mentor, my spiritual mentor. And I called him and said, see, see, like, this is my experience. What happened? And then he explained um, he explained it to me, all right? Now, this was the same thing that Jesus Christ did to them. And I'm sure the disciples were wondering, we said the exact same words. You know, have you ever thought of the, the story where um, the seven, seven sons of Skipha, when the Bible says that they tried to conjure a demon in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, I mean, I thought they told us in, in, in church that anytime you call the name of Jesus, every demon should, should bow down. But how come these seven sons of Skipha called the name of Jesus, yet nothing happened? That means there must be something behind just verbalizing words. That's what I'm trying to explain. It is not as if the name of Jesus isn't powerful, but there must be something behind just the verbal repetition of the words. And that's what the disciples came to experience in this um, story. That they said, I'm sure they said something like, you demon in the name of Jesus, go. But the demon did not go. And there are many people saying this, um, um, performing the same act towards their challenges. They're speaking to challenges. Challenges go, but the challenges are saying, I'm not going anywhere. Um, they're telling the problem or the sickness or a, a recurring situation go, or the situation is looking at them right in the face. So what is it that Jesus Christ, how come the words that Jesus Christ spoke were more powerful? And you need to understand this, that, your words, your words are, your mouth, right, is like, your mouth is like a bullet. Let me use an analogy. Your mouth is like, sorry, your mouth is like a gun, for instance. The, 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 the quality of the bullets in a gun differ, right? So if you are shooting a pistol, for instance, um, I mean, the bullets in a pistol, they are, they are okay, but by the time you bring a, an AK-47, the bullets are, are tougher, the bullets are harder. So what that means for us is that we might, there might be two believers, for instance. The first believer is speaking words, speaking words, but the words are empty. There's no substance inside it, okay? But then the second believer now spends time fasting and praying. That action of fasting and praying generates power so that when the believer speaks, there's now power inside the words that he speaks. But the first believer is just speaking words, and all the words the believer is speaking, they are correct. You cannot fault the words verbally. You cannot fault the words doctrinally. If you check scripture, all those words are accurate. However, the words are not producing results because there is no power inside. You know, words are like containers, okay? If I have a cup of water, if I have a cup, rather, the cup can be empty. Even though it's a cup, it's a beautiful cup. In fact, it's a cup made of gold. The cup can be, can be so polished, but there's nothing inside the cup. However, someone else can have the same cup but has content inside. So our fasting and prayer gives content to the words that we speak. So when next we face a situation and we say, and we rebuke the situation in the name of Jesus, it will respond to us because we have a, a, a robust data bank of prayer and fasting, that um, sufficient power generated through prayer and fasting. And that is what Jesus Christ had that the disciples did not have because the disciples were not fasting. They were just passing through fields. You know, I mean, remember the story where they'll pass through fields, they would eat the grain, they'll pass through, they were just they were just lounging, they were flexing life. But then situations, a situation arose that required their 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 history of prayer and fasting. And let me say this to us. You know, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, where we read, 
that when you fast, fast in secret, and then your father will reward you in open. Meaning, if I'm fasting, for instance, I don't need to go and tell my colleagues in the office that I'm fasting. No, hey, everybody, you know, don't disturb me today. I'm fasting. No, I be fast. I be fast. Or I don't need to go and tell my neighbor or my friends I'm fasting. So do it in secret. But when the return for reward comes, the reward will be public. Meaning, the results that your prayer and fasting will birth, those results will be public. You cannot hide them. And consequently, right, if you don't pray and fast, the embarrassment will also be public. It's just... It's just the way it works. So just like the disciples, okay, they were not praying, they were not fasting. And then, remember the Bible says that there was a multitude. And these disciples were, um, were trying to cast a demon in the presence of the multitude. So you can imagine the embarrassment. Listen, the truth is that situations will always come that will challenge the deposit of God's power in your life. And unfortunately, many times those situations will be in public view. And you cannot take, you, you know, if I have money in my account, I have money in my account. If I don't have money in my account, there's no, I can't do gimmicks. If I go and put my ATM card inside several machines, they will not give me money because I, there's no money in my bank account. But if there's money in my bank account and a sudden it comes, I can come, I'll be confident to go and withdraw the money because I know I deposited it there. So my question to us this evening, first question is that, what are you depositing in your spiritual bank? How much power are you putting in your spiritual bank? Because I assure you, a day will come when you need to withdraw that power. And let's, let's not be like the disciples that will be, will be doing gimmicks and, and be spending time without achieving any results. Okay? So fasting and prayer is, is the way we generate, it's one of the ways we generate power. We generate power when we fast and we pray. Okay? We make the power available so that when the situation arises, we're not trying to call a hey, call one pastor or call one prophet or call one apostle. No, we are sufficient enough to administer the power of God in our situations. Praise Jesus. All right. So fasting and prayer um, um, generates power that we deploy when situations arise. And I want to just say something. You know, I was having a conversation with my friend on Saturday. And we, we, we touched around this and it really just reminded me of an important truth. If you read the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, right, where we read last week. Again, please, if you don't, didn't get listen to, um, if you haven't listened to last week's session or you weren't with us, please get the um, recording on our podcast. The scripture we read last week, Matthew chapter 6, it says that when you fast, and if you read the, the whole of Matthew chapter 6, you see that there are three things that Jesus Christ said when. The first one he said, when you pray, he said, when you fast, and he said, when you give. So these are the three wins for the believer, fasting, prayer, and giving. And I, like I explained last week, um, what this implies is that there is no, it is compulsory to, for you to fast. It is compulsory for you as a believer to give. It is compulsory for you as a believer to pray. These things are wins. They are not, they are not ifs. They are not um, 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 optional um, courses. You know, in the university, you, you usually have the core courses and then the electives. The electives, you can choose to do it or not, or choose which ones you want to do. But the core courses, you must do it to pass that, um, to graduate from that, um, from the university with a particular degree. It's the same thing also in our Christian faith. There are core exercises of our Christian faith. Number one is, is prayer. Number two is giving. Number three is fasting. And it so happens that in these three things, Jesus Christ said, when you pray, pray in secret, your father will reward you. When you give, give in secret, your father will reward you. When you fast, fast in secret, your father will reward you. Meaning all these three um, um, compulsory exercises 
command a reward from God, meaning God himself rewards these exercises. Right, so I just wanted to encourage us again around um, fasting. When you fast, your fasting doesn't go on notice. You're fasting to God, okay? I, of course, like I said last week, your fasting does not change God. However, God rewards your fasting. And one of the ways he rewards your fasting is by supply of power, all right? By deposit of the power of, of Christ Jesus in our hearts. Praise, praise the Lord. So we manifest um, power um, through prayer and fasting. So let, let's look at one more scripture. Luke chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Someone should please go ahead and read for us. If you are following up to this point, um, please give me a thumbs up or just drop a comment in the chat. Let me show that we are all together. Okay, Faith, I see your thumbs up. Um, Ida, thumbs up. Anyone else? Joy, thumbs up. Um, oh, only three people following. Um, you can drop a comment. Just let me know if you are with us and you are following with us. Okay, Sam gives a thumbs up. All right. Okay, okay. All right, should be thumbs up. Okay, that's great. That's great. Um, Tolani, okay, I see you. Thank you. Thank you, Mobola. Thank you. Okay, good. We're all together. All right, so Luke chapter 4. Um, Annie, I see you. Thumbs up. Okay, great. Luke chapter 4, verse, what did I just say? Verse 13 to 14. Please read for us, anyone that is there. Luke chapter 4, verse 13 to verse 14. Uh oh, nobody. All right, let me read then. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, Idara, go ahead, please. Okay, Luke chapter 4, verse yeah. 13 to 16. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. Wow, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. So, Jesus Christ, what says that after Jesus Christ, um, the devil finished tempting Jesus Christ, um, verse 14 in the King James, he puts it this way. It says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. You know, just by, by, by common English, we know that when you see here the word return, that means he must have gone somewhere and he was coming back from, coming back to where he he left. Okay, so if, if I go to work, for instance, I, I'm returning back to work, um, back from work rather, back to my house from work, meaning I left my house and I went somewhere and I'm getting back. So the question now, the Bible says that Jesus Christ returned in the power of the Spirit. Okay, so the question is, if he returned in the power of the Spirit, then how did he go? When he left, you know, what was the, the state of his life when he left? In what condition did he leave? Because the Bible tells us that the, con the Bible let, um, shows us the condition in which he returned. The condition in which he returned was the power of the Spirit. Okay? Now, what condition was he in when he left? So, to answer that, let us go to verse 1. Verse 1 says, and that's Luke chapter, sorry, Luke chapter 4, yes, verse 1. He says, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the Bible says that Jesus Christ was full of the Holy Ghost and he came back from Jordan and then from Jordan he went to the wilderness. Meaning the state of his life at that point was just that he was filled with the Spirit. Okay? And let me say this, guys. Please, when we do the teaching on praying in tongues, please don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's going to be so mind-blowing. All right? So Jesus Christ, the state in which he left was just that he was filled with the Spirit. 
But in verse 14, now tells us that after that encounter in the wilderness and his fasting, all right, I'm not sure what happened. Sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened, but um, please let's continue. Okay, so the Bible says that when Joshua is left, um, after being baptized by, by, by John the Baptist, when he left Jordan, he was just filled with the Holy Spirit. But after the fasting, right, 40 days of fasting and detempting the wilderness, the Bible says that he, re he returned from Jordan in the power of the Spirit. It's almost like a production line, right? When you put raw material at the beginning, you get a finished product at the end. What happens in the middle is the process that converts that initial raw material into a finished product. So Jesus Christ, at the beginning of that process, was just filled with the Spirit. But at the end of that process, he came back in the power of the, of the Spirit. That means it is possible for believers to just be filled with the Holy Spirit and they are, they are happy. You know, they are, they are Christians. They are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. They are, they are filled with the Holy Ghost, but yet they are not manifesting power. What converts that process of being, what, what converts that initial phase of being filled with the Spirit to, a, to, to result in being filled with the power of the Spirit is prayer and fasting. And please, if you can get this, so much will change in your life. That prayer and fasting changes. See, in every one of us right now, there's a deposit of the Spirit. How do I know this? The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Sorry, there's a deposit of power rather because of the Spirit in us. How do I know this? In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says that, and you shall receive power when, it says, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Meaning as long as you've, you've um, received Jesus Christ and you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you have access to power. But if the power is not manifesting itself yet, and you have to be honest with yourself, if the power is not manifesting, then there's something you haven't done to convert that power. And I can assure you that prayer and fasting is one of the key elements that ensures the power of God is manifested so that what you receive as a deposit in the Holy Ghost now becomes connected through fasting and prayer. Are we together? So fasting and prayer is that medium that we we, we, we generate God's power through, okay? And look, so, so observe this, right? Just Christ, in verse 1, he was filled with the Spirit. In verse 14, he was filled with the power of the Spirit. This was not, he was not the only one that had this experience. Um, let me show you something. I didn't write this in my script, but turn to Acts chapter, Acts chapter, this should be chapter 7. Um, Acts chapter... Sorry, Acts chapter 6, if you're there. Acts chapter 6, I beg your pardon. Acts chapter 6. See, if this is the only thing you get this night, you've gotten, you've gotten a lot. Fasting and prayer changes things. It changes things, guys. It changes things. So Acts chapter 6, um, I will read verse... Now, let, let me just give a history. So the church was still growing. Um, they began, you know, as the church grew, they, they, need, they had a welfare need where they needed to take care of widows and those who couldn't take care of themselves, right? But then the, the work became too much for, the work became too much for just the disciples to do because that was taking them away from their core function of praying and, and ministering the word of God. So his um, verse, um, so they told the, told the people, told the church that they should elect seven people that, you know, were filled with wisdom, filled with the spirit and they'll assign that task to them. Okay, so follow me now. Verse, Five, all right? And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, 
a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So the, the Bible says that they selected these seven people. However, of all these seven people, there was one particular guy that seems to be of interest, and his name is Stephen. And look at the way Stephen was described in verse 5. Okay, so follow me. Verse 5, they say, it says, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. So Stephen was clearly full of faith and was clearly full of the Holy Ghost. Many people could see it. I was a man full of faith and it was a man full of the Holy Ghost. It was obvious to everybody, all right? So note that, full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. Okay, two things. Now, follow me and go to verse 8. So verse, verse 5 was where we read. We are going to verse 8 now. The Bible now says in verse 8 that, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Follow me, guys. In verse 5, they said Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. In verse 8, they said Stephen was full of faith, but this time around, something had changed. It was not just the Holy Ghost, but it said it was full of faith and power. The same way Jesus Christ was full of the Holy Ghost in verse, in verse 1 and in verse 14 of where we read, he was full of the, he returned in the power of the Spirit. In the same way too, and in verse 5, Stephen was just full of faith and the Holy Ghost. In verse 8, he was full of faith, but something had transpired in between. And now he was full of power. And do you notice that in verse 5, verse 5 doesn't tell us about anything Stephen did. He was just, he just said that he was full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. He didn't tell us any other thing. In verse 8, he now said that Stephen full of faith and full of power, he did wonders and miracles among the people. Meaning, what caused him to do wonders and miracles was that injection of power. Listen to me, guys. If you are full of only the Holy Spirit and there's no manifestation of power, listen, the devil can still be oppressing you with your Holy Ghost inside you. You will make heaven know, you will not, you will not go to hell, but on earth, the devil will be oppressing you with your Holy Ghost. You need to know how to convert the the, the the potential of the Holy Spirit into an outworking power. And one of the key ways we do that is by prayer and fasting. So I can, I am so sure that, taking a cue from Jesus' example, I am so sure that um, Stephen must have been a man of fasting. And through that process, power, um, Holy Ghost was now converted to power. Remember, just like a production line, the, the, the input is the raw material, the output is the finished product. The input was just the Holy Ghost. Everybody had the Holy Ghost but few people committed themselves to fasting and prayer. So at the end of the day, few people had the manifestation of, I'm sorry, um, yeah, few people had the manifestation of God's power, like the way Stephen had. And mind you, Stephen was not an apostle. Stephen was not a prophet. He was just a normal deacon. But the deacon that was given to prayer and fasting, I'm telling you guys, you don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be called into ministry. You can be in a, in a bank. You can be in a farm. You can be in a factory. You can be anywhere but you are full of the Holy Ghost and power. That means you are engaging in, in fasting and prayer so that power of God is being released through your life. All right? So I, I admonish us to be, that, um, to be those people who are giving to prayer and fasting. All right. So we're going to stop in that for, um, for this point. Again, like I said, please and please, yeah, don't miss our teaching on um, praying in tongues. You will be very, very blessed. Okay? So what else does fasting and prayer do for us? But you know what? I, I, honestly, today I made up my mind to, be, to take things very calmly. So at this point, if you have a question, 
um, concerning what, what we just said so far, please feel free to ask um, right away. Right away, just go ahead and ask before we move to the next two points. Anything that is unclear to you, uh, maybe you fasted one time and power did not show, or you know, you prayed one time and did not come. You know, just let's ask some questions on these points before we before we move on. Anyone with a question? Or are we still absorbing all of it? Let me know. Okay, hi. Um I'm not sure who is speaking. Okay, no, is I, yeah. Hi. So I have a question. Um, okay. So as a Christian, yes, um, filled with the Holy Ghost, you constantly get a nudge to always be in the spirit, to constantly get a nudge to always pray, whatever activity you want to embark on. Mm -hmm. But uh, at what at what point? I mean, and you also get the nod to, to say that, see, I want to fast about this. At what point, so you mentioned a part of the scripture that says this kind cannot go except through prayer and fasting. At what point do you realize that, um, you know what, it's time for me to take the notch higher on this yeah. particular issue? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you. That's a very good question. And this, this, this question is bringing me to something that I, I wanted to touch last week, but we didn't have time to. So this is it. So basically, at what point do you do you now do you now know that you need to take things a notch higher, like you said, and in, in, include fasting? So let me first start by saying, eh, as my admonition to believers, first of all, every I encourage every believer, right, as a practice to have periodic um, days of fasting and prayer. So you can um, start from weekly. So for instance, like I told us last week, have one day. You, you set aside to fast during the week. It is extremely helpful. And then in a month, you can have a couple of days. In a quarter, in a year, like most churches do, you um, 21 days, 40 days, 100 days, depending on, on how the church you know, decides to do it. Right now, so that is for your normal, healthy living. Whether there is a problem or there's not a problem, that is your that should be your default way of living, okay? And why that it is important is because like I said last week, challenges don't announce when they are coming. They can come in from two. So it's better you always have a reserve of, of power available to face them. Now, when things seem, uh, when how do we now know when things are a bit, you know, naughty? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you two things that 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 are indicators. All right. Number one, if you have a challenge that has occurred longer than you estimate it should be. And okay, no, 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 not let me not use the word estimate because I, no, I'm not referring to a human calculation. I mean longer than you perceive it should be. Okay. For instance, you are going through it, you are looking for a job, right? And you know, on the average, maybe it takes you, it takes you, let's say, some, some weeks or um, some months to get a job. But then yours is now taking way longer and just taking way longer. And then it's also proving difficult. All right, that is a good indicator to switch to fasting. Meaning if, if you say a, a matter is prolonging longer than it should, all right, let's say you fall ill. Um, let's say, for instance, you expose yourself, for instance, maybe to cold or something, and then you catch a flu. I mean, that's, that is normal. It's a normal reaction, okay? So you take your drugs or you visit hospital or whatever, or whatever it is you do. But then the flu refuses to go. 
and it is taking longer than the estimated time, it might be a good moment to begin to consider prayer and fasting, okay? So first thing, indication I give is this. If a matter is taking longer than you believe it should take, switch to prayer and fasting. And don't, you know, Christians and human beings generally um, have, have the capacity to adjust, adjust their, their, adjust their, what's the word now, adjust their ability to contain pain. So if, for instance, I'm supposed to get a job, let's say in the next three months, I'm not getting a job. I can begin to sweet talk myself and say, you know, well, God is working something out for me, which, which is not a lie, which is not a lie, but I may now push that to, I may now use that spiritual lingua, linguistic or language to accommodate delay in my life that should not be. So what I suggest is once you, you begin to feel uncomfortable that this thing shouldn't be taking this long, switch to prayer and fasting. If it is a delay, you address it in that prayer and fasting. If it is not a delay, and maybe it is just God saying the time hasn't come, you will find out in the same prayer and fasting. So either way, prayer and fasting is good. Second thing is this. If a challenge is cyclical, that means a challenge keeps on happening over and over again, you don't need a prophet to tell you it is spiritual. In fact, one of the, one of the hallmarks of the realm of the spirit is their consistency. Consistency in in causing a particular action to occur over and over. So you can imagine somebody, let's say somebody's um, somebody's father, for instance, had um, had a particular kind of sickness. The person's grandfather had that same kind of sickness. And the person is beginning to see symptoms of that kind of sickness in his life. That person doesn't need any prophet to prophesy. It is highly spiritual. You need to take it in the realm of spirit and fasting and prayer is a great way to go at that point. Also, if you see that um, it is cyclical in the sense that, let's say every three months you, you fall ill, or every, every December you, you face a particular kind of challenge, or every, every um, cycle, anyways, you, you, you have challenges in a particular manner, then you take it up in fasting and prayer, or, or you, you, I mean, every time they pay you serious money, for instance, you do business and they pay you significant money, for, for no reason, all the needs just arise and all the needs are urgent. And next thing, under a month or a week, all the money you've been planning for has disappeared. And that happens over and over. Then you must take it up in fasting and prayer. All right? I hope that helps, Nelson. Yes, yes, uh, it does. Thank you. All right. All right. Any one more question before we move on? We have two more points um, to, to touch this night. Any question again? One more before we move on. Okay, no question. All right, let's move on. So the next thing, what does prayer and fasting do for you? You know, when we fast and we pray, um, Shama asked, how do you fast effectively? Okay, let me save this question. This, let me save the answer to this question for the end of the class, all right? Uh, and please, by the way, if you have any other questions, you can keep dropping them in the in the comments. Um, we'll look at them together. So, what else does fasting do for you? Fasting and prayer. One of the things I found, both from experience and from the scripture, right, is that fasting and prayer makes you immune to the to the um, territorial demonic forces that are around. Let me say that again. Fasting and prayer makes you immune to the territorial demonic forces that are available. And before you think I'm, I'm beginning to act to say, to sound spooky, let me explain what I mean from scriptures, right? 
uh, we might not be able to go into it now, but I'll just re reference it. You know, in the book of Daniel, the Bible lets us know that at a point, Daniel began to pray based on the understanding he got from, from the prophecy of Jeremiah. He began to pray and, and ask God concerning the Israelites because the period of their captivity was, was soon supposed to be over. And Daniel began to pray. And in response to his prayer, God sent the angel Gabriel to bring him information. So angel Gabriel is the Gabriel is the angel, sorry, that supplies information, okay? But in, along the way, remember Daniel was in the kingdom of, um, of, of the patients at that point in time. Along the way, he was, the, the angel, angel Gabriel was inter, intercepted by another demonic spirit. Now the demonic spirit was re referred to as the prince of Patia. And because of that interception, God had to release Angel Michael to come and fight the Prince of Patia so that Angel Gabriel could go and deliver his message to, um, to Daniel, all right? Now, what I want to point out from, we're not, we're not exploring that whole story, but what I, what I want to point out from that story is the fact that um, there's such a, there was such a principality called the Prince of Patia. And mind you, the prince of Pesha wasn't a fiscal person because they already had a king. There was a king of Pesha at that time. All right, there was a physical king, <clears throat> fiscal king that ruled <clears throat> over the over the land. So the prince of Pesha was a demonic spirit. And let me explain something further again to us. In scriptures, generally speaking, there are two ways that spirits are described. All right. Spirits, especially demonic spirits. Now, spirits are described either by the by the by their characteristics or by their by the territory that they operate in. Now, again, I need to explain something to you. So please just stay with me. We'll come back to prayer and fasting, but I need to explain what I'm saying now. So the way the demonic kingdom works, right, is that they distribute. Uh, so the devil distributes his his minions, his demons, all over places. So the because the devil can't the devil is not omnipresent and the devil cannot be omnipresent. So the devil sends demons to represent him in various geographical locations. So even if you are in London, there are demons that have been assigned to London. If you are in United States, there are demons that have been assigned to United States. If you are in Nigeria, wherever you are, there are demons assigned there. Okay. Now the, the in a in a given in a given location, there's usually the particular demon that is in charge overseeing all the demonic affairs of that location. And that demon is usually referred to as a prince. Now, the prince of Pesha was in charge of that Pesha kingdom. And Daniel's prayer was beginning to yield results. And angel, the angel Gabriel was coming to deliver strategic answer to Daniel. But the prince of Pesha knew that if Daniel received that information, then the, the influence he has been exerting over the children of Israel in bondage, that influence would have been broken. And so the, the prince of Pesha tried to withstand um, angel Gabriel. Okay, now I, I said all of this to just explain to us that in geographic locations, there are territorial forces, all right? Now this is where fasting and prayer comes in. When you fast, like we said last week, your... Hmm... Ah, there's so much. I can't wait to that. Okay, anyways, when you fast, what happens is that you're, you starve your flesh, but you feed your spirit. So your flesh becomes very light. And in so doing, your spirit becomes stronger. Because of that, the influence of the, of the demon over that territory 
doesn't have an impact on you. You know, Jesus Christ said that the prince of um, this world comes, but he finds nothing in me. And we looked at this some weeks ago. One of the implications of that statement is that the prince of this world, the Bible refers to the devil as the god of this age, meaning the demonic force that governs the dispensation of this age right now. And Jesus Christ was saying that this, the prince of this age and the god of this world doesn't have an impact over me again. Meaning there's something that Jesus Christ was doing that helped him escape the influence of, of the god of this age. And that's exactly what happens when we fast. That the territory, that the, the demons that govern or control a particular territory don't have an impact over us. All right, you know, I have you ever traveled to a place for those of you, okay, for those of you that travel a lot, um, or even if you, even if you, don't, travel, you don't travel a lot, you must have observed this. That if you go to a particular place, if you if you are diligent and observant enough, you will notice that a lot of people in this particular place are they have a particular kind of sickness. Or when they reach a certain age, something in a very similar manner happens to almost every one of them. Or if you go to a place, you just find out that, see, let, me, let me give a practical example. You know, when I moved to my house, where I am currently, um, it was different from a totally, totally different location from where I used to be. What I did, One of the first things I noticed was that the people around were were just very loose and promiscuous. There were there was just a lot of a lot of um, sexual immorality I could I could perceive in the environment, and I told myself that if I don't want to be a victim of this atmosphere, I have to engage myself in prayer and fasting. So for the first few days when I got to the, to to my my house, I just gave myself to fasting and prayer because I I could obviously see the demonic influence around that place, and one of it is is um is um, idleness and then um, um, sexual immorality. And so if you go to different places, some places you go to, you know, if you go to my states, you know, I, I won't mention, if you know where I'm from, you know where I'm from. I just won't, I won't mention it now because I'm about to, you know, expose them. But you, if you go to my states, they are, they are a, you know, drinking, drinking is part of their blood. It's almost like they, when they give birth to them, they give them alcohol. Because they wake up in the morning, they are not, and especially the men, they have not done any work but they are giving themselves to local wine and um, alcohol, drinking and eating meat. And it's almost like the, the demon in that place is the demon of alcohol and, and sex. And so this is one of the things that happens when you fast. That the And let me tell you this, anywhere you go to, there is a, there is a, there is a demonic force over that place. This is, this is not, I'm not saying this for you to be afraid. I'm just saying this for you to be aware, okay? So that you don't fall victim of your ignorance. Now, when you fast and pray, what happens is that your fasting excludes you from the demonic influence because demons, and you need to understand this, demons find authority and find expression through the weakness of the human flesh, okay? So because we have, we've seen the flesh is weak, the Bible says, but the spirit is, is willing. So the weakness of the flesh, right, the, the human nature, that is what where, the, where demons find um find expression through. So demons prey on the human weakness and the human lusts. So when you fast and pray, you deprive your flesh of its strength. So the demon, demonic spirit over that place doesn't have the, doesn't have any entrance again to um, influence and exact, to exact influence over your life. Um, do you understand what I mean? So prayer and fasting excludes you from the demonic atmosphere in a particular place. All right, I somehow feel like people already have questions, but please, if you understand so far what I just explained, um, give me a thumbs up or drop it in the comments. 
oh, nobody understands. Okay, Ida says she understands. Who else just understood what I explained? Let me know. Okay, Faith does, all right? And that person? Uh, only two people understand what I said. Okay, if you want, okay, Mobula explains. Okay, all right, all right. Please, if you don't, please, I beg you, this, you know, this is Bible study. Yeah, and we're not in church. If you want, if you don't understand anything, please feel free to ask, all right? So I want to look at Okay. Sorry, I don't know if I'm going to be taking us out of the context, but Faith actually pointed out something that made me wonder. Um, so I hope I'm not sure going off. So the fact that um, the angel was trying to deliver a message and there was a barrier, we're trying to understand why. So is it the 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 ter the territorial thing that they have, or is it something more? I don't know. But why couldn't the angel past in quotes and and i know i think there's something about maybe daniel praying longer and then something happened. i don't know but we're just wondering why couldn't the angel <laughs> pass okay <laughs> very, very very good question very good question i'm going to explain to you now do you remember when jesus christ said if you want to if you want to um take something from me i'm paraphrasing now using my words if you want to take something from me from the house of a strong man that the first thing you do is to first bind the strong man before you take that thing, all right? But, but if you try taking that thing and you don't bind the strong man, then the strong man would, would stop you from taking it. Now, remember that the Israelites have been in captivity for so long. Ah, and I need to say this because of your question, that for every physical expression of every physical experience, there must and there always is a spiritual um, force that governs the continuity of that experience. So for the Israelites who have been in slavery for so long, there must, must have been a demonic force that ensured they were still in slavery. Now, of course, God said they were going to go, in, go into slavery, but the demon also prayed on that, took advantage of, of, that, um, of that punishment in court to ensure that they were in slavery. Now, Daniel's prayer was, that, was for the Israelites to come out of slavery because according to the word of the Lord, they were supposed to be there for 70 years. And the 70th year was fast approaching. So Daniel began to make intercessions. What Daniel was saying is that, in essence, by his prayer was that, based on the word of God, these people should be out of here by the 70th year. So in other words, the spirit that was, that was enjoying itself by their slavery has to let go of them. And they, as a result of Daniel's prayer, the angel, angel Gabriel, if you read, you read the book of Daniel, Bible says that the angel Gabriel came to give skill to Daniel, okay? And that skill, skill and information, the information that the angel was coming to pass across was is very instrumental to the release of the, of the Israelites. And the demon in that area didn't want the Israelites to be released. Just the same way when uh, Moses went to meet Pharaoh, it was not just, Pharaoh wasn't just saying, don't go because... Um, he didn't want them to go. He, the, the, the demons that, that governed the um, government of Egypt wanted them in slavery. And that's why they, they, had, they did their own signs and wonders to counter the, what Moses did. So the prayer that Daniel was praying was, was going to let them go and the demons didn't want them to go. And so the, that's why they faced that resist, resistance. So to answer your quest, questions, yes, because the demon was a demon responsible, was a principality responsible for that territory, okay? And the, that obviously that the demon didn't want, want them to go. So the, um, Daniel had to apply extra force. And again, this is why prayer and fasting 
consistency is important. That there are certain things you not just achieve by just one day of prayer or two days of prayer. You have you need to be persistent in it, and that's why we are encouraged to. I mean, many of our churches already do that. We have lengthened periods of prayer and fasting. Seven days, 21 days, 30 days, 40 days, as the case may be. What this happens is that it ensures we apply an, enough pressure in the realm of the spirit to make sure that the word of God, remember that God already said by the 70th year they will come, but the demon was not going to let them just come out like that. Daniel had to pray and fast for three weeks to ensure that they came out. All right. So, yes, I hope that answers your question. Yes, thank you. Okay. Um, to, to tie up this point, we have one more point to go. Tell this point, I, I'll just make reference to, you know, let, let's just read it. Luke chapter 17. I'll read it quickly. Luke chapter, or oh, someone can read for us. Luke chapter 17, verse 26 to verse 29. Luke chapter 26, sorry, Luke chapter 17, verse 26. Luke 17, 26. The yeah. same things that happened in the days of Noah will take place in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, and they were giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and a devastating flood came and swept them all away. The days of the Son of Man can also be compared to the days of Lot. The people of that time lived their lives as normal. They got married, raised families, built homes and businesses. Yet they were totally unaware of what was coming until the mm -hmm. day Lot departed from Sodom. The sky opened up and rained fire and burning sulfur mm -hmm. upon them, destroying everyone and everything they had built. So it will be a day of the revealing of the Son of Man. Amen. Thank you. Thank you um, so much, Earl. Now, Jesus Christ was, was trying to explain the, what it will look like the day the Son of Man comes, as the day he comes. All right. And he gave these two analogies. And I want to point out something important or some few things important and consistent with both with both an analogies. So Jesus Christ made reference to the days of Noah and he made reference to the days of Lot. The first thing I want you to point I want to point out is that in the days of Noah, there was a global, a global, um, there was global immorality, put it that way. Global immorality, things where people had forsaken God. And God, God wanted to wipe out the whole earth. What that means is that the whole earth at that point was covered, was governed by the same spirit. And everyone on earth was under the influence of this wayward spirit and waywardness that was, that was rampaging everywhere. All right. Except for Lot, I'm sorry, except for Noah and then his, um, his family. Okay. Now, it is the same way the um, Bible says that the same thing happens in the days of I um, mean, the days of Lot, the whole city of Sodom and Gomorrah was given to immorality, gross immorality. Everybody in Sodom and Gomorrah, every single person was under the demonic influence of immorality. And, sorry, except for, except for Lot. In fact, even Lot's, Lot's, Lot's daughter's husbands, when it was time for them to leave, they, they didn't want to leave, meaning the 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 um, the atmosphere had so much influence on them that they didn't want to leave. Okay, now what was common in these two instances? Look at verse twenty. Look at verse twenty-seven. So it says in the day verse twenty says in the day of Noah, right? Um, verse twenty-seven says they did eat and they drank, meaning there was. I mean, for the for for the Bible to emphasize that they did eat and and drink. Of course, the Bible knows that we every human being should eat and drink. So it wasn't. He wasn't. 
But the Bible isn't referring to just our daily eating and drinking. It's referring to an excessive indulgence in food. And the Bible says they did eat and drink. Verse um, 29, sorry, verse, verse 28 says, Likewise also in the days of Lot, they did what? They did eat and drink also. So one thing that characterized both experiences was that they were given to food. They were given to gluttony. They were given to excessive consumption of food. They were not fasting. There was nothing, nothing in them that refrained them from consuming upon their lust. And that's part of the next point we're going to look at is, is the fact that if you don't fast, then loss will, loss will devour you. But we're not there yet. Let me just stay on my point. So to avoid the territorial, to escape the territorial influence, right, in any place you go to, pray and fast. You will escape the influence of the, of the territorial spirits around, around that place. Okay, so I'm not sure what happened again. Um, apologies for that. Um, yeah, but let's just continue. Okay, um, but can, can, can you can you all hear me? All right. Anyway. Yes. Okay. Good. Good. So, um, the next, uh, the last point for for tonight, right, is that fasting and prayer. This is very closely related to what we talked about. Fasting and prayer helps put your flesh under submission to your spirit. All right. And in so doing, it becomes easier for you to overcome temptation. Let me take that again. Fasting and prayer puts your flesh under submission. And through because of that, it becomes easier for you to overcome temptation. You know, the Bible says that let no man say um, he's tempted of himself. But, um, but every one of us, when we are tempted, we are carried away by our own loss. You know, let, let's read the scripture. Um, um, this is in first, this is in first John, I believe. Um, just give me a minute. Yeah, this, sorry, James, I beg your pardon, not John, not John. James chapter 1, verse, verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. Okay, let me, let me read this to us. It says, let no man say when he's tempted, that I am tempted of God, okay? He says, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. Meaning that God, if anybody feels temptation at any point, it's not God that is tempting, tempting you. That you cannot tempt God, neither does God tempt, does God tempt you or does God cause temptation. Verse 14 is where I'm going to say, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lusts, and enticed. Then when loss had conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings, brings forth death. My emphasis is verse 14, where it says that every man, when he's tempted, is carried away by his own lust. You know, you know when the Bible says his own lust, what that implies is that what may be lost to you may not be lost to me. What may be lost to the person on the left may not be lost to the person on the, on the right. For instance, somebody may see food and he's not bothered about food. But that same person, if you show, give him a movie, he can watch, all, he can watch movies all through the day. So for him, for, for that person, movies is his own lust. For another person, food may be his own lust. For someone else, sex may be his own lust. Another person may be alcohol, maybe his own lust. You know what? Different uh, as the case may be. However, um, James explains to us that whenever you are tempted, it is not God. 
is not, in fact, funny enough, the devil was not even mentioned in this matter. He said that it was your own lust, were enticed by your own lust. So what fasting does is that fasting kills and deadens your, your, your awareness of, of lust, deadens your, your awake, your, your sensitivity to lust. Meaning that when you fast, because the body is deprived of food and the body is deprived of its own energy and the spirit is now fed, what happens is that your spirit has uh, more energy to, to resist temptation and then lust begins to dry away, uh, away from your body. Now, I'm, I'm, this is a very practical, practical, practical um, um, discussion. And you, if you are honest with yourself, you find out that, so you know me, this is me, I don't know about you. I'm very practical with my, with my work with God. So I try to observe, if, if I feel lost, right, at, at any point, let's say I just begin to feel lost. Yeah? And I ask myself, what triggered this loss? What is it? Or if I just suddenly begin to desire money, I just wake up one morning and say, I just want money. And my, 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 my taste for money just goes up. And I ask myself, what is going on? You know, and most times I found out that in most cases, if I am deprived of fasting, right, for a period of time, then loss will begin to awaken. But somebody will say, hey, but I've given my life to Christ now. Doesn't the Bible say that all things have passed away, um, all things have become new? Um, become new? And I, my answer to you is 100% yes. However, as a believer, that's why the Bible says, we, um, Paul told us that we die daily. As a believer, you know, even Paul again explained to us that we need to, we need to put away the old nature. Meaning as a believer, your old nature will still have strength in your life if you don't intentionally kill it. And it is an ongoing process. That's why Paul say, says we die daily. So it is through fasting and prayer that we kill that nature. And what happens is that it's through fasting and prayer that we, we, we subdue the nature so that it doesn't reawaken within us, okay? And what, happen is, what happens rather is that every time we fast and pray, we deprive the old nature, the ability to, to express itself in our lives. And that is where lust is, is um, found. Lust is found in the old nature. So our fasting and prayer overcomes the weakness of the flesh so that the, the spirit becomes, uh, comes to the forefront and the spirit is more energized. And if temptation ever rises up, we're able to resist temptation. And let me say this, if you don't fast and pray, right? If you don't give yourself to sufficient fasting and prayer, what will happen is that temptation will come. That thing that is your own lust, one day it will show up and you'll be too weak to overcome it. And let me tell you the real truth. Hmm? Temptation is beyond the is beyond the the um, is beyond the level of your mind. Meaning, at the moment when you are tempted, you might logically know this is the wrong thing to do, but you still end up doing it because there's no power to say no to what you know is wrong. So the fact that you know something is wrong, I can assure you, is not sufficient enough. Is not sufficient enough for you to not do it. The fact that somebody knows stealing is not good. You, if I, he can even preach to you and say stealing is bad, it is not good, give you all the scriptures. But at the moment of temptation, where he's lost, he's trying to find expression. If he doesn't have sufficient strength accumulated through prayer and fasting, he will still fall prey to what he knows is the wrong thing to do. And if you ask people that are addicts, for instance, why do you keep doing this thing? They'll tell you it's bad. I don't want to do it. So why can't you stop? 
they will not be able to answer you because there's no strength to stop what they know is wrong. So fasting and prayer gives you that strength, that momentum, momentum to say, I am not going to do this and tell the devil, Satan, this, what you're asking me to do, what, you are, what, what my flesh is luring me to do is my old nature and I'm dead to it. Okay? So now let's, let's read Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Um, we're going to be done in a couple of minutes and we'll take questions. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 and 16. Please read for us if you are there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 and verse 16. Hebrews 12, 15. Watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. And make sure no one leaves with the root of bitterness sprouting within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. 16. Be careful that no one among you lives in immorality, becoming careless about God's blessings, like Esau, who traded away his rights as the firstborn for a simple meal. Praise God. Thank you. Um, thank you, Faith. So this is actually an interesting scripture, right? If you look at it closely. Because um, the writer of Hebrews was admonishing people we're admonishing the church how they should how they should live, and he says that he begins to use an example, and this is what he said in verse sixteen. He says, "No, but none of you should live an immoral life, just like the version she read says." And King James version says, "None of you should be a fornicator." And then he says, um, "Or a profane pe person as Esau." Ah, uh, I mean, at this point, I begin to ask questions. When was Esau a fornicator? When was Esau an immoral person? Because the only record we have of Esau is that he sold his birthright because he was hungry. I mean, do you want, I mean, somebody said, do you, do you want Esau to die? What if he had died? What use would his birthright be if he, if he, if he was not alive? You know, someone can argue that. But the Bible now, this scripture now reveals to us that there was something deeper than just, than just Esau's appetite for food. That his, Esau's appetite for food was an indication of another kind of appetite, an appetite for immorality. And so the Bible is saying that let's not be like, um, this is verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for a morsel of meat sold his birthright. Let me tell you guys this, right? Any version of lust, any version of lust is fueled by food. And you can take this anywhere. Any version of loss, you know, the Bible says that there's the um in in first John chapter 2, verse 16, it says the tells us about the loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, and the pride of life. This categorizes all the kind of temptations that we generally will fall into: loss of the flesh, loss of the eyes, pride of life. And let me tell you, all these these three temptations are fueled by eating, meaning if somebody is given to consumption of food on health consumption of food and person doesn't fast, what will happen is that you'll be giving, you'll be, you'll fall prey to the loss of the flesh. You meaning you just, you just want to do things that entertain your flesh, anything that will satisfy your flesh. If it is going to, if it's going to spend, let's say all your money on, on going on a trip, not as if going on a trip is bad, but the purpose for going on that trip is just to satisfy your flesh. If it is going to sleep with somebody, have sex with someone, you know, that you're not married to, as long as it satisfies your flesh, you don't see the person going into it. Um, what they call it, the second one, lust of the eyes. How? There are people that can see, that like, I mean, the obvious expression of the lust of the eyes is pornography. That's pro probably the most profound expression of the lust of the flesh. And check it, people that are given to pornography, they, they eat. 
if they are hungry, and if they are hungry, your body will not produce all the hormones that support your, the person's indulgement in pornography. So fasting cures that, okay? But if, you are not, if the person is not giving to fasting, he will fall prey to the loss of the eyes. Then the third one, the pride of life, meaning, you know, just as gave the example of the guy that amassed, you know, amassed so much and says, and expanded his banner and says, now, he now told himself, eat my soul. There's nothing to worry. That pride that comes from your achievement is fueled by eating. There is no proud person that does not, that is not giving to food. And the Bible is letting us know that these three lusts, okay, if you want to overcome them, the way to overcome them is by fasting and prayer. And let me say this to you guys from a candid point. If you ever detect lust in your life, any form of lust, any version of lust, the moment you detect it, just go into fasting. Don't even try to say, don't try to say, let me see how far this thing can go. Let me see how far it can go. No, 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 no. Your life is too risky. Lust is like a fire. It consumes. The moment you see a manifestation of lust, and you will know, if you are honest in your heart, you will know. You will know that I'm beginning to feel lost. I'm beginning to feel pride. I'm beginning to feel, you know, your, your heart will start moving in a particular direction. Once you see that, sentence yourself to intensive fasting to deliver your soul because the flesh, you see this thing called flesh, when, when the Bible re refers to the, to the flesh, it is old. It is older than you think. And the devil knows the ways of the flesh. And he, that, like I said earlier, he, he, he preys upon the, upon the weaknesses of our flesh to introduce certain unwanted dimensions into our lives. So prayer and fasting ensures that our lust is contained and our spirit is sufficient enough, is strong enough to overcome um, temptations. All right? Um, oh, one more scripture. Let me just show you that. That lust and lust and food, eh? they, they are like this. You know, oh, you know that mean? That mean that you see like this. Eh? Lust and food, they, are, they go hand in hand. All right, let's read one more scripture and we'll close. First Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 12. Yeah, First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Verse 12 and 13. Please read if you are there so I will be quick. Um, First Corinthians. Corinthians 6, 12. It's true that our freedom allows us to do anything, but that doesn't mean that everything we do is good for us. I am free to do as I choose, but I choose to never be enslaved to anything. Some have said, I eat to live and I live to eat. But God will do away. <laughs> but God will do away with it all. <laughs> the body was not created for illicit sex, but to starve and worship our Lord Jesus, who can fill the body with himself. Praise Jesus. I'm sorry, I have to laugh because of your of your expression. It was like you saw what I was what I'm what I'm, what I'm about to say. Okay, um, so um, um, what's his name now? Paul. Yeah, Paul was writing to to the church. I was explaining several things to them. I would say some people say, "Oh, all things are expedient," but he says, "I won't be mastered by anything." Right? But then he now goes on to say that I, I like the way that must be the passion translation, right? I like the way it says you that. Um, you know, some people say, I eat to live, I live to eat. But then at the end of the day, the Bible says that God will destroy both of them. You know, um, King James says the meat for the belly, the belly for meat, but God will destroy them both. Then in the very next sentence, he now began to talk about sexual immorality. And this is why I read this verse. I read this verse to show us that immorality, lust, and food, they go hand in hand. There is no, I mean, have you ever gone to a beer, to, have you ever gone to, 
Every time I go to a bear parlor where there's no food, and then, I mean, well, if you've ever seen a bear parlor, if for those of you that were born Christians from your mother's womb, you maybe don't know what a bear parlor is. But if you've ever been to a bear parlor where they serve pepper soup, they serve um, beer and all of that, it's very normal to see women there and men that are just trying to satisfy their lust, okay? And the reason is because, if, in fact, the, the industry knows that to, to help them, there needs to be food to support that their drive. And that's the way the flesh works. Lust and food go hand in hand. So if you are going to deal with lust, and I encourage, so I'm, I'm not saying that if you feel lust, you are seeing though, no. I'm saying that if you sense lust, deal with it immediately by, by, by sentencing yourself to, to fasting. Give yourself to fasting and fast until you, you, know, you know that lust has left your body. Don't just fast one day because some, on some occasions, lust will not go in one day. And let me tell you this. Eh? There are some times when, so you know there's the lust that emanates, that's, that's just your, the, your own lust. Your natural flesh is, begins to lust. You need to tame it. There are some other times when the when when the devil sent a, a a a an army of demons to 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 put pressure on you in that lust. If those days ever come up in your life, let me tell you what to do. Sentence yourself to fast. Even forget that you have a kitchen. I'm not saying you will not eat forever, but I'm saying fast, fast for me. Maybe just fast and you break your break. You fast and eat only once, but do that for many days until that loss is eradicated from your system. Because what the devil is going for is deeper than you satisfying that lust. The devil is going for your soul. He's going for your communion with God. Because once you engage in that lust, you will be out of fellowship with God. And once you're out of fellowship with God, you will be exposed to attacks and too many things can happen. All right? So I hope with these few points of mind, I've been able to convince and not confuse you that you deal with lust by prayer and fasting. All right. So we're going to end here. Please, questions? right about now. If you have any questions um, to ask, I still have um, Trauma's question, but I just want to know if anybody has any, any other question before I go into it. Something I didn't explain, but I will explain it. Yes, question. Esther, you have a question? Um, okay, Ida, hold on here. Let me just take Esther, then we'll come to you. Okay, so when somebody wants to fast, when somebody say, okay, I discover I have this challenge and I want to fast, how do one, what's, how do one get scriptural references for um, such and then how do one read prayer points for that religious, because now I'm, I'm talking, assuming like I'm just, I'm not so deep in the faith, for instance, yeah. and, and I really want to know God more. I just carry my Bible, but I don't just know it's about, I just know I want to fast. How one generates prayer points? And of course, yes, you need the Holy Spirit, but how do you go about it? Okay, good, good. Very good question. Thank you, Esther. So this is it here. Um, two things I'm going to tell you. Number one, if you discovered, for instance, you need to fast, let's say, let's say there's a particular thing happening in your family and you, you are worried about it and you want to fast about it and you need scripture. The first thing I encourage you to do, right, is to go and if you don't know scriptures of, by yourself, go and speak to someone that, um, that, that is a believer that probably knows more scriptures than you or is more mature in the faith or older in the faith than you are, all right? Two things that that, that will do for you. Number one, it will give you scriptures to begin with, but not only give you scriptures, it will explain the scriptures for you in the adequate context so that you're not taking scriptures, you're not applying the scriptures wrongly. 
right? So that's um, first thing to speak to someone that has experience or that is mature rather um, in the faith and let them be able to, to give you scriptures or share with you things that would guide you in, in the word of God. Number two thing I would encourage you to do is to you make your search. This, you know, one of the things I've learned from, from my experience in life is that challenges have a way of making you grow by force. That if we are all comfortable, we will not grow. But when problem comes up, we will tie our, ourselves together and, and we'll grow. So let that be an opportunity for you to study the Bible. So you also go on a personal study, open scriptures, look for a concordance. Or I mean, now that we have, we have um, um, online Bibles, right? Or you have Bible apps. Use your Bible apps, reference scriptures and read, read scriptures upon scriptures. Let's grow in your knowledge of the word of God. Why I say so is because the experience of searching the scriptures for yourself, it does something to your heart. That experience makes gives you an insight into the word of God for yourself. Of course, someone can explain it to you, but when you search the scripture for yourself, it enlightens your heart. And then it, causes, it, it helps you to also accumulate um, more of the word of God in your heart. You might not need that at that moment, but some of the things you find you need later or you might need immediately. All right. Um, I hope that answers the question, Esther. L let me, either before I move to you, right? By the way, Esther, does that answer your question? Just let me know. Are we good to go? Um, I can't hear you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Good. All right. Ilar, before I get to your question, your own question, let me answer Shoma's question. How do you fast effectively? It is actually a broad question, um, to be honest, but I'll give you some tips. Oh, there's something I wanted to say. Good. Okay. I'm going to answer this now. I remember. I wanted to say something. Okay. I'll answer it with this question. So how do you fast effectively? Now, first, first tip I'll give you is this. To fast effectively, right? Set it as much as it is possible, set yourself apart, separate yourself from your normal day-to-day -day activities. If you can know, I know there are some of you that go to work and you need to fast while you're going to work, so you have to go to work, and I'll come to that. But if you can set yourself apart, so if you if you can decide, maybe choose a, a Saturday or a or a um or a Sunday or a day of the week that you can have time apart. Right, where you're not too involved with all the day's activities. If you are going for, let's say, a season of fast, if you can take leave from work or something, but just by all means, set yourself apart. Why I say so is that it minimizes your distractions and it increases your concentration. So your distraction, what's happening here, your friend, your sister, your brother, your wife, your neighbor, all around you, you are not distracted and you are just more focused on God. All right, um, so that's the first thing I encourage you to do. Separate yourself. Number two is that decide what you want your fast to oh to what, what you want your fast to do. Before I go to number two, let me explain now. For those of for those of you that go to work and and for those of, for those times when you are going to work and you need to fast, I this is what I encourage you to do. Before you step out of before you leave your house in the morning, the the word of God that you want to focus on during your fast, um, gather it together. Either you write it down or put. Or type it in your phone, but have it have it handy so that at intervals during the work, during your work, you can glance at the scripture and keep your mind focused on that scripture, even though you're working. Okay. Now, there's something I also learned from my experience of fasting while going to work and all of that. Well, first thing I noticed is that even though when I go to work, I don't have as much time to pray 
right? Like when I'm at home or when I'm, I'm just apart by myself. However, because I fasted, the, the little time I had to pray, it made that short time of prayer very impactful. Because somebody one day said to me that, ah, but Victor, if I don't have time to pray during work, why am I even fasting? Because I, I'm fasting and I want to break by six. And that six o'clock is when I'm just coming back from work. And I pretty much haven't had time to spend with God because I was at work. And I said to the person, still go ahead to fast. Because when you fast, your body is light. The little time you have to pray, what happens is that you, your, you th that short moment of prayer is more impactful than somebody that didn't fast and just wanted to pray for that short moment. So let's assume you only have 30 minutes to pray. Because you fasted, those 30 minutes will be very impactful than someone that didn't fast but then want to just spend, want to just spend 30 minutes um, um, fast and um, praying rather. Okay? Now, moving on. If you... So second tip, rather. What was I going to answer? Um, so, okay, second tip. Let me move second tip on, on that will help you fast here. Set a focus on what you want to fast about that period. Okay, and and make sure you are make sure you are precise about it. If you say I'm fasting to build my spirit, then look for scripture that you meditate on, that you read on, and you pray about. If you say I'm fasting for a particular need or a particular challenge in my family, in my life, get scriptures pertaining to that verse so that your fasting is accurate. Remember, you are generating power. You want to be able to direct that power in a specific um, angle. So you know, get gather that. Right, so I hope that was helpful. I, I, so this is not an exhaustive list. There are so many more things to do that will make your fast effective, but um, for sake of time, we won't be going into all of that. All right, Idara, your question. I was just bringing your attention to Chioma's question. That's what I was saying. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Okay, that's good. Okay, so anyone else wants to ask a question, please, by all means, feel free. There's no, there's no dumb question. Please feel free to ask um, your question. Okay, I have a question that has to do with fasting and walking. Okay, go when ahead. You're back, you're back from work by, let's say you break your fast by six and you're back from work. All you want to do at that moment is pray one minute prayer and quickly go and break and eat. Yeah. So how, how do you do, how do you make that one minute effective? <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good question. Um, and I will answer it. So you know, you know why I'm even laughing? Because I, have, I totally relate with you. I absolutely do relate. Now, this is what I'm going to tell you in very practical, practical steps, right? So this is what I would do if I was in that situation. Let's say I come back from work and I'm really tired and I, I'm really hungry. Now, the human body works, in, the human body is very tricky, okay? Now, number one, I'm tired. Number two, I'm hungry. And number three, I want to pray. There's a very high chance that if I, if I want to pray in that, in that state, my mind will be on food. And I'll just be thinking of food and be saying, shalaba, 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 shalaba. I'll be thinking of the fried rice and chicken. So this is what I recommend to do. Eat lightly, okay? And, and this is where your own discipline will have to come in. Eat lightly. Emphasis on the word lightly. Eat lightly just to quench your hunger pants a little and rest. If you eat lightly and rest, by the time you wake up, whether you sleep or not, or you just rest, by the time you get up, you'll be, you'll be stronger and well-equipped to pray. 
and then you can pray. And after that, you can decide to eat more or not. But the danger is that if you don't pray and you just, you know, gulp food, eat all the quantity of food you want to eat, by the time you come to pray, eh, you find it difficult to pray, to be very honest. You spend a longer time to now overcome the fatigue of your body and then now get into, the, into, into what I call the spirit of prayer to now achieve what you want to achieve in prayer. Remember, one of the essence of fasting is to make your body light so that I can focus on God. So if you come back from, from after having not eaten all day at work and you just dive into eating food and you say you want to pray after eating food, you will fall asleep. There's no, there's no trick about it. You just sleep off. So what I suggest is if you are so hungry that you can't even concentrate, take something very light and rest. Let your body rest. It's tired. Let it rest. When you've rested for a bit, then get up and pray. You'll be more equipped to pray and your prayer will be very effective. All right. I hope that helps um, faith. All right. We can try the prayer from the road to Nalabi as well. <laughs> I brought something I wanted to talk about. So there's something I call this is this is my own term. I call it mobile Christianity. What I mean by that simply is that I discovered right that if I am not talking to somebody, I can be talking to God, Abi. So if I'm at work and my work doesn't require me to speak, let's say I'm not I'm not a I'm not in a customer-facing role, or I am not engaging. In, I'm not in a meeting with my with my team or anything. I'm probably just working on my computer all by myself. As I'm working on my computer, I can be praying in tongues. And this is thank you, Ida. Um, thank you so much for bringing this up because this is the way I fasted for a long time when I was working and going to the office. That I fortunately for me, my job doesn't require me talking to customers, so I'm just on my computer doing my work. But and I'm not talking to anybody, so I plug in my ears, listening to worship song, and under my breath, I'm praying in tongues, praying in tongues, praying in tongues, praying in tongues. And I noticed that by at the end of the day, when I'm done with work, I feel so full in my spirit because I didn't just go all through the day not doing anything spiritual, I was engaging my spirit and being active in the, in the spirit. So that is a very good uh, method to go about it. So, in that case, if you are able to do that all through work and maybe on your way back from work, you, you do that. Then by the time you, you, you go, you get home rather, you, you, you must have already prayed what you want to pray and you can go ahead and eat. Thank you, Dara, for that. Okay, so any more questions? We really want to deal with this. Any more questions on prayer and fasting? Tolani, do you have a question? Choma, do you have a, okay, Choma, you've asked your question. Um, Anita, do you have a question? Vivian, Dan, Jeremiah, to me, Jesufumi, um, Chubi, Busayo. Do you guys have any questions? Please feel free to ask. Oh, my voice is cracking. Um, can, can you guys hear me clearly? Yes. Okay, good. Okay, might just be the network then. So yes, any question? Anita, do you want to ask a question? No. No, no, okay. If, if you're not asking a question, can you share with us one thing you learned today? Um, just one thing you learned today that you're going home with. Anyone? Um, so, and Anita, we'll start with you, but while, while we're waiting for you, anyone else wants to share with us just one thing you learned today that you are going to go home with and you practice um, before we meet again next week? Um, I think the, the major thing for me is the fact that 
when you fast, uh, what it does is it excludes you from the influence of, you know, territorial spirits and influence. Yeah, it was that was major for me. I didn't know that. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you. All right, you know, another person, any person, any person, what you learned today, let's just make it snappy. We'll take two more people and we close. Um, any person, should I call? Should I let the spirit lead me or do you volunteer yourself? All right. Okay. So I don't know if you know what we call Boko Cleanser. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, I think it's that's, everywhere. Like, yeah, yeah, that's what goes to the spirit man. It helps, it, it cleanses your system and then makes you fit. So, mm -hmm. okay, awesome, awesome. Thank you, thank you, Esther. So cleanse, fasting cleanses your, your spirit man and makes you fit. Great, yeah. one more person. One more person, what do we learn today? Dan, do you want to come to our rescue? Jeremiah, you're here. Do you want to come to our rescue? What do you learn today? Tolani, you have, haven't heard your voice today. Okay, um, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Um, so for me, I learned that fasting generates power inside us that um, as we are speaking and we're fasting, the words we um, fasting gives us content, basically. So mm. like, yeah, that's basically it for me. Thank you, thank you, Tolani. So fasting gives content to our words and to our lives. All right, um, Dan put in a chat here, says fasting is more like the antidote to the vices of the devil and are lost. Okay, your background is noisy, thank you very much. Um, Aurel says food and lust are four and six, and we deal with loss by sentencing, oh, five and six, okay, we deal with loss by sentencing ourselves to intensive fasting. Okay, thank you so much, um, everyone. God bless you. Um, one more thing before we leave today, please, if this is your first time joining us, um, just let us know who you are, introduce yourself and tell us who invited you. Um, first time joining us today, anyone, can you just introduce yourself and tell us who invited you? Um, I think I'm going to call Jeremiah. Are you there? I think today is your first time. Um, I believe so. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, let's confirm. Jerry, are you there? Do you want to introduce yourself and let us know who invited you? Uh-oh. Jeremiah is not there. Okay. Um, last week, we didn't do this last week, so permit me to include people that joined us from... Okay, Jeremiah said today is his first time. Okay, who invited you? Um, can I just drop it in chat. Um, also, if, you, if last week was your first time as well, please also introduce yourself. Um, we didn't do this last week. The last week was the first time. Please just say your name and introduce yourself. And sorry, tell us who invited you. Um, anyone? Anita, what, I think last week was your first time. Am I correct? I may be wrong, but I think last week was the first time. Oh, yes, it was. Oh, okay, great. All right. um, so everyone, please welcome Anita. Welcome Jeremiah. Um, who else are we welcoming? Okay, I guess the rest of us are, uh, I was going to say old school, but we're all new creatures in Christ. <laughs> all right, so welcome, guys. Thank you so much, everyone. We're going to close now. Please join us to next week. So next week, I'm so excited about this. We're going to start a conversation around praying in tongues. So this is one of the very disputed um, aspects in, in Christianity. In fact, there are so many um, so many factions of Christianity that don't believe in praying in tongues or believe different things. So just come with an open mind next week and we'll explore it together. 
Um, also, if you know anybody that doesn't pray in tongues or does not believe in praying in tongues, please invite the person to next week's Bible study. Let's look at it together. Um, praying in tongues will cover two, two weeks also because we need, to, we need to break it down. So what we'll do next week is we'll look at it from a doctrinal perspective. So we'll look at the examples of people praying in tongues and why it is doctrinally accurate to pray in tongues or theologically right to pray in tongues. And then the, on the second week, we'll now go into the practice of it, um, of praying in tongues, all right? So thank you, guys. God bless you for staying all this while. Um, have a blessed week and see you next week. Same time, same venue. God bless. Bye. Good night, everyone. Good night.